0: This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, December 28th of 2020, it's episode 191. In this episode, GM improv, plus a question about misapplied scripture, an important announcement about the podcast, the dialects archive, solo improv exercises, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And
1: we're back. It's just after Christmas for those of you listening. It should be the new year for those of you actually hearing it, but for us, we are recording just a little bit after Christmas. Hopefully you enjoyed our Christmas special. That's the thing. I do want to start off real quick with an important little uh, announcement here. This is going to be the second to last episode of Saving the Game. Uh, I wanted to just go ahead and get that out. Right up front. We're going to go over all the reasons in detail in our final episode, as well as do a few other fun things. But to quickly give a TLDR, basically 2020 is awful.
2: We're all just really tired. We're all just exhausted.
1: It's been brutal. And there are a few other things that have sort of been building over time or not building as the case may be. And it's been eight and a half years. i like it still kind of blows my mind how long that is. Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this a long time. We'll go over all that stuff in the next episode, which is going to be kind of a wrap-up and, I don't know, benediction of sorts. We'll we'll get into that then. Suffice it to say, we're going to be hopefully finding our way to other things. We've got a lot to talk about with you know the community and stuff. Patrons should not have been charged for January. We should have got the Patreon on pause and all that, should be able to shut that down here, but patrons, if you have gotten charged for January, please let us know. Shouldn't have, but we'll sort that out for you.
2: Speaking of of patrons, should we mention, th- basically, the last episode, we're going to answer every Patreon question. If you have not submitted a, a Patreon question to us for a while, please, this is literally your last chance Yeah. to ask me my favorite mac and cheese recipe.
1: Yeah, I can't promise we're going to answer absolutely every
0: no. single one. I say glaring at Doug Underhill, who's got a backlog of like eight. But <laughs> No, I think we can probably get through we can what do we've it. currently got in there, we plus maybe it. one more per you know person per who patron. hears this and decides to send one. Uh, what I will say is do not deluge us with 30 questions to yeah, try and stretch one. the episode out. Please don't. one. Please if don't. You're, one. If you're a patron... I, you know what? I, I will go ahead and say like, you know, even if Grant decides to bail out, I'll stick around and answer whatever's left. That's because we don't have a huge backlog right now. The last time I checked, I think we had 19 questions. We currently, with the one we'll answer in this, will be down to 18. A lot of what we had in there is something that we can answer in just a few minutes. So, as long as you keep yeah. it to that, you know, we should be able to get through what we still have in our table. Just don't get cheeky and try and bury us like yeah. If, you don't, yeah if you haven't put in something for a while ask us one so yeah please
1: and there will be a few probably that we'll just kind of look
0: at and go this is way too big hmm but i, I we'll, don't we'll, i don't we'll think that, so will i've looked at the table i don't think it's fair enough it's gonna do that if to us, pressed so. we
2: can do rapid fire
0: yeah yeah we'll make it work the point is yeah. we'll make it work anyway we're gonna do that we'll talk about other
1: stuff having said that though it has been christmas yeah and it's certainly been a 2020 Christmas.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. You guys talk about your
1: Christmases. Um, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Mine has been weird, but not like not any more weird than I expected for this year. Right. Mm. You know, we had family over keeping kind of separate in, you know, across the room. We had masks on and, doing that sort of thing, right? The kids got to actually open some gifts with the limited amount of family we had over. I think most of the stress has been um, lots of baking. I seriously baked like two loaves a day for a couple of days before Christmas, which is kind of a, a lot for me. And I have crochet drama that I will, I, we don't have time for, <laughs> but I I've been working, I was trying to, Find some pattern from my dad, went through eight different patterns, probably nine or ten restarts on various projects. Finally ended up trying to make a scarf desperately before Christmas and then looked at it and went, oh, I didn't measure this. It's eight feet long.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I refuse. Oh no. I'm done. Oh, no. <laughs> dad, I will figure out how to get you a hat at some point. So
2: <laughs> it's, it's
1: Yeah, that's how that happened. That's how that was. But by and large, it was about as good as it could have
0: been. Ours was very quiet. Uh, My wife and I stayed home this year. Uh, We had calls with my family and hers, but we saw my family for about five minutes when my parents dropped off some of my mom's wonderful caramel pecan sweet rolls to bake on Christmas morning. But we were all masked and that was outside and Very low-key, spent a lot of the day playing video games, uh, Stellaris and Griftlands, specifically. Good choices. Yeah. That was me. Jenny, you had shenanigans.
2: (laughs) I did. So I had... The the first half of the day was objectively one of the worst Christmases I've ever had. Oh, no. I ripped my favorite pair of pajama pants straight up. That was the first thing I did that day. And then went upstairs... And realized that I was the only person with no presents to open. And then, because all of them are, are in the post office right now. And post office doesn't open until tomorrow. So that was cool. I feel like there were other things that were bad. I think that was when the internet started to tank really, really awfully. Like, my internet, as we all know and make fun of, is some of the worst in existence. I was getting download speeds peak about 9.5 kilobytes a second. Ugh. And it it was so we we couldn't do any of the, like the video calls that we really wanted to at a certain point. Dad got the family a Christmas present that got on on Christmas Eve it was announced, "Oh hey, this isn't going to get here until mid-January." And it's like, "Okay." And like I know, I know that Christmas isn't about the stuff. I know it's not, but it sucks to be the only one. I would rather we all not have gifts than be the only one in the house without a gift.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of our default state at this point. Like, my wife and I stopped gift giving relatively early on in our marriage and because neither one of us have gifts as a love language, and we really haven't missed it.
2: Tyler is gifts as love language kind of person, as well as, I, I don't know, honestly, I'm not a big fan of, like, love language quizzes, because it's one of those things that, like, changes over the course of your life, so if you get really stuck into it, and, and like, put yeah. too much it, stock it does, into the initial It but test. Nikki
0: and I both but, appreciate not having to do the gift pressure yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I, I am big gifts as love language kind of person, and... I I do know what Tyler got me for Christmas, which I'm very excited for. It's a signed copy of a book from an author that I like. I'm not entirely sure. I believe the book itself may be limited edition. I can't find it on any other websites other than the one where it's like, hey, get your signed edition here. Oh, wait, we're all all sold out. Uh, If you can get your hands on a copy of Princess Floralinda and the 40 Flight Tower by Tamsin Moore, good on you, but I can't find it anywhere. (laughs) So Tyler got me a copy of that. I gave my mom... Oh, this was another thing that was like super freaking... This was the other bad thing. I realized I could not finish a Christmas present because one of the other things we did for Christmas was... Around here, we are allowed to have over one single person who lives alone. We're essentially allowed to adopt a single person. Uh, And so we did that for Christmas. It's a good friend of ours who lives quite close by. (laughs) And uh, so... He was coming over, and I was cross-stitching him. Uh,
1: oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I know where this is going.
2: I I realized around two a.m. Cr- uh, Christmas Eve that there was no mathematical way for me to finish it in time. I could not do it. Oh. Also, I really hope that he does not listen to this episode for a fair while, uh, because the is a secret. I should not have said that out loud. Hey, can it be bleeped? <laughs>
0: yeah i mean it'll make it sound hilarious we'll see what justin does like
2: (laughs) oh yeah anyway i was literally frustrated to tears with that cross stitch project as well it was incredibly frustrating yeah i don't cross stitch well on a time limit i just stab my hands over and over like my hands were aching there is still a part of my hand that aches because I was cross-stitching so much.
1: Chrissy has that going on with some of her cross-stitch projects that she does. Yeah, and trying to... When you're in a rush and clenching a little more because you're stressed and all that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So the bad was very bad, but then basically... Halfway through Christmas Day, pretty much everything turned around except for the internet. Um, had a lovely get-together with a friend who we haven't gotten to see nearly as often this year. Usually he'd be over at our house once to twice a week. And uh, yeah, and it was it was just really nice. And We watched him up at Christmas Carol, as we always do, and played some Magic the Gathering, which we decided Dad won after uh, he, he was playing an Edgar Markov commander deck and got twice the amount of health that i had and we were just like we can't win
1: <laughs> no that's that's how edgar markov decks do yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah dad has decided he doesn't want to play edgar markov again but oh what's his name i want to call him Crumslore uh goblin commander mob Cranko, mob boss I think he'd enjoy Cranko Mob Boss.
1: Cranko's fun. I like, I always like turn it sideways red goblins.
0: So. Yeah.
2: yeah. Hey,
0: look, more goblins. Even more goblins. Yet more goblins. Exponential
2: goblins. Hey, look what goblins. I found in this
0: drawer. Some goblins.
2: <laughs> yeah, literally goblins squared every time you tap. It, it was a, a very mixed Christmas for me. It was yeah. a very 2020 Christmas. Funny enough, 2020 has not been the worst year of my life but it's not been a good one
1: <laughs> it's not yeah. been it's not been great for anyone one book i am going to call out that i'm excited about I, two of them actually i got a book of japanese puzzles that are all logic puzzles that all kind of come from kind of the original japanese puzzle magazine mm. from like the 70s and 80s it's not exactly where sudoku started but it's pretty close because it started it actually started as an american puzzle Mm-hmm. was popularized in this puzzle magazine and then sort of spread out from there. But there are a lot of other logic puzzles that are also sort of grid-based and, and similar in this puzzle. But it kind of gives the history of some of these and then walks you through them. And there's a whole bunch of varieties of, like, pencil and paper puzzle that I've never seen before. Cool. So I'm excited about that. And then Neal Kishtani's A Little History of Economics, which... I have heard wonderful things about as an overview of economics. I think anybody who took economics at any point or read up on economics at any point has been pointed to The Worldly Philosophers, which is an econ 101 intro, you know, econ for non-econ majors text kind of book that I would really recommend, but it kind of stops with Milton and it's like, uh... Yeah, but we're sort of past this now, and we want to go beyond that, so this is a good book that sort of takes you past that point, and really starts earlier, because this book starts before John Smith. It starts with like, Mm -hmm. hey, money, (laughs) we invented
0: it, that kind of thing. We have stamped coinage. What do we do with this?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Grant, that name is pronounced Neil.
0: Neil? Okay.
2: Celtic is awful, but that's that's All right, well, there we go. There you go. Neil Cushcheon. Uh, Now I know.
1: Neil Chastaini. But yeah, excellent book. I've heard wonderful things about it. It has been on my list for a long time, and now I have it. So there we go. Speaking of Patreon questions, we do have one to roll for here, one to get off the list ahead of time, and I'm going to go ahead and roll for it. We ready? Yep. Ah, okay. We do have a tough one here. This is from Richard Lorenz. Which Bible verse slash passage slash teaching have you seen misused or mangled the most?
0: I know the plans I have
1: for you from, from Jeremiah. Strong choice to like build you up and not to harm you. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yes. Very much the uh, prosperity gospel go-to verse of choice. Mm-hmm. Yep. <sighs> yep. I know that one. I think mine is Luke six thirty-seven. Judge not and you will not be judged. <laughs> Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The forgiving thing, I think we're all pretty much on the same page about but the you know judging and condemning piece of it is very often thrown around as a you can't judge me Mm -hmm. kind of answer and it's like yeah but we can certainly have a conversation about what you're doing wrong here yeah (laughs) so
2: i see a lot more just straight up ignoring
1: (laughs) Mm, certainly
2: the entire book of james gets ignored so yeah it's, it's one of my favorite books actually it's a good book it's a very good book
1: my runner-up would probably be the poor you will always have with you. I hear I hear that a lot as an excuse for, well, that means I don't have to, you know, be charitable. Yeah. We don't actually have to do this. It won't fix anything. God said the poor will always be there.
0: Yeah, but he also so. said we're supposed to take care of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but again, we're talking about which ones have we seen misused yeah. and mangled. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a bunch. <laughs> let's Let's be real. I think everyone... Every single one of the verses in the Bible has been misused and mangled at some point a it's a book that's existed for a very long time,
0: and proof texting is a problem about as old as scripture, so yeah, yeah. what's the famous uh Shakespeare quote, even the devil can quote scripture to fit his purpose or something
2: yeah mm-hmm. i think okay here's here's my my I'm going to answer the question I wish got asked. <laughs> I okay. wish that we would stop treating the Bible as though it had been written in English. The Bible, as most of us have read it, is a translation of a translation. The further you translate it, the more you edit it further from its original text, the more mangled it gets. The entire Bible has been mangled by translation. I wish we could go back to some older, different translations, because I bet you anything they are closer in some regards to the original texts.
1: Similarly, I wish we had a Bible that very, like, the I wish the Bibles that we commonly used called out a lot of different translation differences. One of the things I really uh, liked that MJ Young from the Christian Gamers Guild did for a long time, he was doing a Bible study, still is, I think, and what he does is he goes through uh, passage by passage and breaks down each verse from the original Greek and Exp, you know looks at about 12 different translations and what they can mean it's a long bible study going out you know through whatever replaced yahoo groups these days but I, it's fascinating stuff because it's like oh okay that's um that's a thing
2: yeah wow I,
1: that's a lot of different ways to interpret that
2: <laughs> yeah i think i think that's partly why i like being anglican because we talk about the translations so often, and not just the translations, but the cultural contexts. I think it's all very well and good to say that, you know, oh, the poor will always be with us when we don't have... When when we look at the Bible as static, and we look at society as static, I think it's very dangerous to look at society as static. Um, and I think it's important to look at the Bible... Not as every single thing in the Bible is is very, very good and we should all act like that. I think it's important to look at the Bible as a sort of a conversation. And we don't do that very often.
1: Yeah, I agree. Richard, good question. Good discussion. You promised. Yeah. So thank you. Appreciate that. Speaking of scripture. <laughs> yes. Speaking of scripture, let's go ahead and read ours. And then we're going to get into this topic that we promised last time. Talking about improv GMing. Yep. This is Exodus chapter 4 verses 10 to 12. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what
0: you shall speak.
2: Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths.
0: And this is James 1-5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you.
1: We're talking about improv GMing. Contrasting that against GM prep, sort of, but not really, and we'll talk about that. Can we start with, like, a definition of improv GMing? Sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's basically any time you have to make up a thing on the spot although generally I think we're going to be talking about less along the lines of you have to go off the rails that you've set and more you intend to not have many rails <laughs> you intend you go into the game knowing that you're going to be making up a lot of it as you go along
0: I don't know that that's necessarily true I've improved a bunch of times when I thought I had things prepped so
2: yeah but well, we yeah. already talked about going off the rails And while this will be helpful for that, we had a what if things go off the rails episode.
1: True, though that was more about when your players do it.
0: Well, yeah, kind of. We did. You're right. There have definitely been times where I've been going along looking at my prep and I've been like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this out and do something different. (laughs) Sometimes I look back and I'm like, that was a good decision. And sometimes I look back and I'm like, why did I do that? (laughs) Yeah. I guess what we're talking
1: about is Not having a quote-unquote script or plot as much or basically the ability to sit down at a table and invent what's happening on the fly and sort of roll with the collaborative aspect of GMing, which is working with your players to help create the story. And I think that's important. I think improv GMing is fundamentally collaborative. Mm
2: -hmm. If it's not, then it... You can, I think you can do it, but the fundamentals of it are collaboratively based most of the time.
1: I think if you are doing improv GMing without collaboration, you would probably be better served to just go ahead and prep. Yeah. Because the things you're going to get out of that or write <laughs> are, would be better if you sat down and planned them. The yeah. value of improv is that you can be conversational, that you can roll with whatever comes and you just respond in kind and make it believable and make it work.
2: Mm-hmm. You're essentially playing as the world as a player rather than Yeah. It, it's it's much I I think it's much more like being another player at the table that just has control over the world world as character.
1: That's a really interesting point because there are a lot of GM-less games Mm -hmm. and they all have a lot of improv Mm
0: -hmm.
1: kind of built into them. Everybody is sort of improvising at the table. Now, there are a lot of improv-heavy games with a GM. Yeah. And just to be clear, to kind of follow up on what Peter said, any game can do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there are games, I think we will all agree, there are certain systems that encourage that more versus systems that don't make that as much of a focus. Yeah,
0: I'm and just to drive this home a little bit, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but the campaign that I did the most improvising in was 3.5 D&D. Yeah. Which is crunchy as all get out and has all kinds of mechanical fiddly bits and yeah. A lot of the mechanical stuff on that end front, I think, is
1: player facing.
2: Mm-hmm. Whereas it, y- there are certain is, systems but-
1: where a lot of the mechanics are like GM facing and that that is more difficult to improv around.
0: Except for when those mechanics specifically make you improvise. I'm thinking kind of of the Powered by the Apocalypse oeuvre of games there. Where it's Oh yeah, like, but that, that
1: I would 100% categorize as a game where improv is built in.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think though we should also make maybe make a note that I think a lot of GMs who label themselves improv GMs are willing to throw out rules like as much as the rules will be made to serve X purpose the GM is going to want to do Y with it and we'll just throw them out or modify them heavily to make the the games serve the purpose of the of the players rather than the players serve the purpose of the game.
1: Sure. I got to throw something out here. This is going to be bizarre, especially given me railing on Palladium over the course of this podcast, um, <laughs> hey, you know, all, all the many years. But weirdly enough, Kevin Simbieta, the guy who is the Palladium head you know, primary author over at Palladium, that's kind of his shtick. Apparently, when he runs games at cons and runs his own game, half of the rules in the books that he writes don't get used or get thrown out. And he's just like, ah, yeah, let's just do this, whatever. <laughs> Because apparently, the fact that he writes all these rules really just sort of means here's a smorgasbord of rules for you to pull from. You know, use whatever you want instead of these are supposed to be a coherent rule set.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I mean, looking at it through that lens, that actually makes a little more sense. I, I get the feeling that he's, you know, for all that his style of GMing is
1: probably like the games that he runs would not be amazing for me to play in. I get the feeling he'd be a lot more fun to play a game with than necessarily to read a book by. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. yeah, probably. But I mean
0: that's the case with a lot of you know, I mean there's there's uh there's exceptions out there, right? I mean, oh sure. Like I I'm sure Greg Stolzi is great fun at the gaming table, but his writing is a high bar to clear. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So I have really hadn't considered about GMing as like the rules as an improvisational thing. That's a whole kettle of metaphors you know, the, that the, we're gonna have other to thing dig into. Too,
0: is sometimes you can get GMs that have just such a comprehensive mastery of the rules for whatever system it is that they're running that they mm. can improvise while staying within that framework.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I dare say that was me back in that 3.5 game. Like I knew how so much of the systems worked and things that I was able to just kind of like pull from various resources and you know there there was a rule for everything and I knew where to find it so yeah we were that way
2: not even necessarily you as the GM but somebody at the table because having a player as sort of a mechanics co-GM is super useful this is how my mom ran her games for years there was a player my mom and I both I'm sure have some level of dyscalculia. We look at numbers and they're a big jumble of nothing. But we had this guy at our table who, like, obsessively knows rules and numbers and was able to do all of the numbers-based things on the fly for my mom as she GM. So if if you can't do that, that's okay. You can still improv GM for sure. It's you, you don't have to have this super intimate knowledge of the rules to, you know, keep the game moving and flowing. Just, it'll be fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I will say we did similar things in our 3-5 game. Uh, you know, it'd be like, all right, let's just keep moving. But if you can look that up real quick, mm-hmm. we'll just assume it's this until we are told otherwise and just roll with it. I do think, and I have a small list here, um, but it's not super big. I do think... Improv GMing is a skill that takes practice like any other skill. Certainly, yeah. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Absolutely. Obviously, one of the best ways to practice it is trying it at the table. But I know a lot of people will look at, imp- will hear the word improv and think, oh, like stage improv or comedy improv. I think those are related but not identical skills.
0: Yeah, they, they will certainly help you, but they are not the same thing. Yeah. They're not. Because stage improv
1: is... Very often physical, right? You're minding, you're handling imaginary objects, you're interacting with a crowd or you know, and showing off kind of as a performance thing rather than trying to have a like a conversation that has to maintain a cohesive narrative with a fictional world that has to be maintained session to session, rather than quick sketch improv where it's okay, at the end of these five minutes, nothing we do here is gonna matter.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: I think those are different skills, but they're related. And so I went looking and found some solo exercises and tricks for getting better at improv that might be fun to practice. Right. Uh, there, I found a really good article and I'll try and link this in the show notes. Uh, Ideas for the Isolated Solo Improv Practice by Improv Cincinnati. There are plenty of others. If you just Google like solo improv practices, there are a ton of articles that pop up. These, I thought, I thought were the most approachable suggestions. Some of them sounded um, a little woo-woo, not going to lie, <laughs> but these were, I thought, very helpful and particularly helpful for GMs. You know, one of the things that you're doing when you're GMing is you're kind of going through characters in rapid succession, right? And a lot of times it's, oh, I need to come up with a character right now. So one of the best things you can do is study characters and try to practice acting and sounding like them. So I would – you know, you you pick a show that you either love or you hate and go ahead and apologize to anyone else in your home in advance and then try and mimic that character that you're seeing, right? In, you know, uh, whatever Netflix show or YouTube show or whatever, mimic that character. Try and figure out how that character speaks, get their patterns – and then try and express different emotions in that character's voice. Then uh, one of the other suggestions was take two characters from you know, and this could be from media, maybe from the game that you're in, whatever it doesn't really matter. Maybe mix it up, make go ahead and do this as your your crossover fanfic of your dreams, and pit them against each other in an argument, right? So you have two characters going back and forth, and you're trying to maintain consistency that way and doing different voices and perspectives because again when you're suddenly being asked to produce an npc you have to make a realistic seeming person right there on the spot uh one cool thing i found there is a dialect archive for the english language dialects and it tries and it gives you ways to listen to dialects and accents from all over the world Uh, their site says they have 1600 samples from 120 different countries and territories and more than 170 hours of recordings wow yeah it's super cool so that's a great way to study dialects because i'll tell you i'm really bad at letting dialects kind of blend one to another and they all kind of end up either scottish or indian and it's not great
0: yeah, I I wind up with like Scottish or generic Slavic a lot of the time and that's not great either. Yeah. Or or goblin.
2: Also, as much as this is a useful tool, I am an improv GM but I'm not a voice GM. I do okay. not change voices. So, also don't f- like like your players know that the characters are different. Your players know that. And if you just make them act Like, you don't have to put on an accent for them to say different things and act differently.
0: Yeah, you know, I think this is time to address something that we've never actually explicitly addressed on the show, and that's the Mercer effect. You do not need Mm -hmm. to be a professional voice actor with an award-winning actual play in order to be an effective GM. Yeah, No, certainly not. Everybody on Critical Role does voice acting for a living. The fact that they can do, like, distinctive voices for their characters and stuff is is great, but it's a professional skill that they have all spent years cultivating. You do not need to live up to that standard. You just need to make it so that it's clear which NPC is speaking.
2: Yeah.
1: That's absolutely true. The one thing I will say is that if not accents, at least different cadences and uh, intonations can help.
2: This is where code switching comes in. I have to code switch as part of my job. Code switching is a thing that um, recently, for whatever reason, a lot of people seem to think is exclusive to Black communities in the South. I don't know why they think that, because it's literally pretty much everywhere that there is any sort of class distinction or where you have to change a role i code Mm -hmm. switch all the time for my job i have my customer service voice where even if you're screaming in my face i have to talk like this and tell you i'm not going to allow you to you know treat me with disrespect and please leave the library and then i have the way that i talk on the show which is a different code i am having to talk differently notice when you are code switching Almost everybody does it for whatever reason, unless you are Jeff Bezos, who does not have to code switch for anybody. You probably have to code switch. (laughs) Notice when you're doing it, pay attention to yourself, your actions, and how you act in different situations, and then apply that to other NPCs in your game.
0: I mean, I code switch as a parent.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I certainly did when I was in retail. Anytime I had to interact with the Mm -hmm. public, it was... You know, there, Jenny's right. There's a certain like customer service voice that you put on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, there is. I,
1: it's, even though I don't do a whole lot of over the phone support, anytime I have to get on a remote with a customer, yeah, there's absolutely a code switch that goes on there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and th- that's just that's normal. And certainly when I worked in more public facing industries, it was absolutely there.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's normal. That, yeah, that is just. Yeah. The, the part other thing too is it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like you know, sometimes no. like you just need a higher degree of formality or politeness or something to, to really fulfill a professional duty. And pulling that out is just kind of part of the assumed nature of the job. Like if somebody is a restaurant hostess, for instance, they're going to have a certain way of speaking to the guests when they come in because they're trying to make a good example. And yeah um make the place feel very warm and welcoming and stuff whereas you know they walk back into the kitchen and can you know start kind of being very frank about how much the blisters on their you know feet are hurting them from the walk that they had yeah. and stuff so
2: to put a blunter point on it i'm not going to drop an f bomb in front of your kid
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and i certainly agree that that sort of intonation and speech pattern change is just as good as an accent yeah i think Sometimes breaking out an accent is a really good, fun thing. Oh, yeah, for I sure. might be leaning more that way because we have been reading to my kids at bedtime. We've been doing two chapters a piece of Patricia C. Reed's Enchanted Forest Chronicles. We're on uh, Talking with Dragons, the fourth book Lovely. now. Great young adult series, by the way. Absolutely wonderful. I'd
2: put it in middle grade, personally, but... Well, they're handling it fine.
1: Yeah. Um A few questions here and there. The four-year-old struggles to really follow everything, yeah. but he's also kind of wiggly at bedtime anyway so he's not fully following everything anyway Mm -hmm. but eight-year-olds enjoying it great it's really good i do fun voices for that because otherwise it would be really hard to distinguish the multiple characters that those books have Mm -hmm. right sure and that's just and so i might kind of lean that way naturally anyway Anyway, the last thing on the list from this particular article was – that that I thought was good at any rate. Uh, watch improv comedy sketches or shorts, right? Yeah. YouTube uh, and other streaming services are a thing. You can get plenty of them. You know,
0: watch plenty of Whose Line Is It Anyway? You'll kind of see how it goes. It's yeah, fun. I was going to suggest that same one. That's mm-hmm. That's a very fun one to watch.
1: Yeah. And then two others that I came up with. Go through albums of real or imaginary landscapes. I know we have plugged uh, the imaginary landscapes subreddit before. <laughs> Just go through those and try and describe each one to imagine an imaginary table as if it were a real place in your game. That's a good way to quickly, okay, I've got an idea for a location and let's talk about it, right? Like, oh, I have to come up with a place. Well, here's how I would describe it real quick. That's a way to start building up those place description muscles as opposed to character muscles. Or you start describing them and then let that process tell you what sort of game and campaign it might actually belong in. And if this ends up accidentally inspiring you to use
0: these in your game or some future game, oh no, how terrible. <laughs> yeah, free brainstorming. Hey, yeah. Grant. Yo. Quick, describe a high-class tavern in a fantasy setting. So you're really not allowed in here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I should have seen that
1: coming. (sighs) When in doubt, assume the party isn't allowed in and then let them, you know, get frustrated (laughs) and break in. (laughs) Shenanigans will ensue. Last one, consume media. Peter, I know you've done a good bit of writing. Jenny, I know you've done a little bit. I think you're all aware that authors, certain authors, certain would-be authors, I should say, fall into this trap of like not reading deeply and widely because they want to keep their own special voice. Yeah. And that's not what good authors do. Yeah. Good authors integrate a really broad spectrum of knowledge and influence or in a deep research into topics that they want to write about into those ideas of their own and express those as something new in their own voice. That is true of good GMs as well.
2: I think to go off of this a little bit, something that I don't think people do out loud very much anymore and i think they should do more of is talk about deeply talk about the structure of media and why they like that structure a lot of the time so i'm i've noticed this especially because i'm in a particular book club facebook group oh my goodness nobody can actually tell me why they like the secret history by donna tart nobody not hmm. a single person has yet explained to me why it is an appealing book to them. They just say, oh, it's good, and I like the characters. Well, what do you like about them? Oh, they're terrible people. That's not helpful. <laughs> None of that is helpful to me. Here, Here's where I'm going to suggest a couple ways in which to consume your media. Take your favorite book and read highly critical negative reviews of it. Yeah, Watch-
1: and to be clear, we're not talking like YouTube comments, we no. mean like
2: Essays. good, well-thought-out reviews. This was what Tumblr was through 2013, 14 through 16. It was people taking the things they loved and ripping them to shreds, and that made me a much better improv GM than anything else I could have asked for. Because when you tear something to shreds, something you love is teared to shreds before your very eyes, probably by somebody who enjoyed it just as much as you did, you know exactly how it works. You have all of the little pieces in front of you and you know how they tick or how they don't tick. Cough, dragon age, cough. (laughs) The three people that I think do this fairly well, and they do different aspects of this, uh, these are our YouTubers. Our H Bomber guy, who a lot of people already watch, uh, definitely not kid friendly. Uh, so you know, wear your headphones. He-, he has this entire series where he just rips things to shreds, either lovingly or or angrily. Another YouTuber is the Artisan Geek uh, or Seiji on YouTube. She reads a lot of really diverse classics and talks relatively deeply about why she likes them and the structures of those classics. Uh, I wish she would go a little bit more in depth, but she does try to make her videos, you know, less than an hour long.
1: <laughs> You've, by the way, got me started following her on YouTube as yeah. well, by the way.
2: Yeah, yeah, she's very good. She's very good. Very good. And another one is Melina Pendulum. Uh, she tends to go into the more society aspects kind of things, but she did a huge video essay recently on dictatorships and authoritarianism in children's cartoons that I still have yet to watch all of because I still haven't finished watching Steven Universe and I don't want spoilers. <laughs> but um, she also tears things apart lovingly, sometimes but like with with hate in her heart, rightfully so. Does not like Gone with the Wind is very vocal about that. They tear things apart. Similarly, the, the artisan geek much less so, but like if you're looking for that sort of rip things to shreds to figure out how it works, those are are who I would go to.
1: And this is why I love podcasts that do this for me, and that's everything from System Mastery, which I've talked about plenty of times on this show. Again, not safe around kids, a lot of strong language, but they're really good, and they do it for movies and for uh, Star Wars Expanded Universe novels mm. in different podcasts, and those are great fun to tear apart, some of it because these are generally bad Uh, bits of media, but the good ones they actually get into a lot as well, and that's really fun. Uh, But also things like Mega Dumbcast with, you know, our friend Chris Newton, you know, going through old RPG books for the same reason. Uh, I've been listening to a really good one that Loading Ready Run puts out going through the James Bond movies uh, called From Rewatch with Love (laughs) and They're not like professional film critics, but as people who love movies and are, you know, people who went to film school that, you know, this is the stuff they do for a living is producing media. They understand a lot of this and them going through and breaking down each scene and what works and what doesn't has been very informative for me.
2: One of the things I really wish I could put in the notes is like my first year film studies classes notes because- Oh, my goodness. It was phenomenal. Firstly, the prof was amazing. She's really, really good. Props to her for teaching a bunch of... Oh, wow. We were not a good class to her. (laughs) But she did her best. Learn a lot of, like, old film terms and styles. Learn the structure of stories. That whole thing about, like, how there's only, what, one or two or three types of stories in the world learn the beats of story and how they work and practice watching for those in media so that you can pick them out and then call on those as you need to
0: we did an episode on that ages ago do not fall into the trap of confining yourself to whatever genre you are working in
2: oh yeah no, no.
0: Break out of that. <laughs> if you're if you're doing fantasy, watch, you know, sci-fi, watch spy thrillers, watch, you know, like Histories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mysteries, drama stuff. I've recommended the PBS, the uh, Anne of Green Gables that appeared on PBS a number of times. Those movies are really good. Um, they're really good character development. They don't rely on like genre elements or violence to advance the plot at all. Having those in your back pocket is
2: if you want to go a different direction, read I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid because it is one of the most visceral books I've ever read. You can literally feel in your gut where the climax and anticlimax and where the structure is based on gut feeling because of the very v- visceral descriptions of everything and the the pace. You can feel the pace of the story. Hmm. I will also admit It's not a book for everyone, and if you drop it, I don't blame you.
1: (laughs) That said, all of that (laughs) having been (laughs) said, one of the other valuable things about reading a lot—I say reading—consuming a lot of media is that as an improv GM, you can also very quickly have a battery of characters and locations and ideas to just start something off with. Mm -hmm. Oh god, I need an adventurer. Okay, uh, Indiana Jones, but he's got a straw hat and a cane. Yeah, okay, cool. I've just made a new NPC, or Indy's dad, but beside the point. I just needed somebody who's like an old retired adventurer. I just, I can quickly say, okay, he's like this, but with these different details. It's shortcuts.
2: Yeah, you can also have stock characters. Like, Yeah. I've been playing Fallout New Vegas a lot recently. There's like five faces. <laughs> There's yeah, like five faces on wrong. NPCs. That's all you need. <laughs>
1: No, that Skyrim's the same way. Yeah,
2: um, it, you you don't need to have super lots of detail with every NPC. If your players happen to latch onto an NPC, run with it. This is where yes and is very very useful, and that's when you can start to get into the different details. That that's where where you can uh, you can um, you know, focus your render distance a little bit more and and mm-hmm. and sort of bring more detail into things. But just start with like your f- simple. F- five stock characters. If you really need to elaborate, you can. When you need it, you know, five basic people.
0: I I think also most GMs, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, have those already. So acknowledging them and like consciously working to modify them slightly in play will help.
2: Yeah, like if, if you have been gaming at all, these are all probably things, including the media analysis stuff, these are all things that you probably have the skills to do you may or may not realize that you're doing it it's a a lot of improv gming is about self-awareness and knowing what your capabilities are
0: it's intentionality like grant for instance two of yours um that you use pretty regularly and to good effect this is not a criticism it's just these are two that you enjoy are the cheerful villain and the person that's friendly to you but yet kind of like gives you a hard time all the time I feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing in your games for a decade now, <laughs> give yeah. or take. So. Yeah. All right. I gotta. I gotta come up with two new NPCs. Give me. A second. <laughs> no, those, are, um, those are just two. Yeah. But <laughs> you have more. But those are. Those are kind of I'm your signature I'm not sure I ones. do. <laughs> I, I actually think you. You do actually. You've got kind of yeah, a world weary authority figure, and you've got. Like, there's. There's more, but. Yeah. Like those are, you know, we're all going to have some signature ones, right? I I have kind of like a honest but no nonsense authority figure that I use. And then I have just like genuinely pleasant people who have lots of, you know, interesting abilities. Those are two that I drag out all the time.
1: And, And that's a wonderful thing. I think the intentionality
0: we're talking about here is consciously
1: build up a big catalog of these that you can pull out. And then quickly modify on the spot. And that will save you a lot of time and make you much more comfortable because you're never at a loss for who is this person that yeah, I yeah. suddenly need to invent on the fly. Yeah. To bring it back around a little bit here, um, we talked about collaboration yeah. right at the start of this conversation. I think one of the things that is the hardest for GMs to learn is to let players contribute ideas in the middle of a game
0: mm-hmm
2: i don't
1: the easier really? way to learn that is to let players start controlling npcs
2: really because i think so I, okay here's here's where you and i are gonna differ real heavy collaboration if you start with it's just gonna happen and if you start like like in the show notes and in the description of the show hopefully if we can i have an entire map that I drew with the players that I had at the library that day that we all drew together at the same time. Mm -hmm. We started the session with collaboration and that collaboration continued through the whole session. It was a session where a guy was trying to break into a cat cafe that the players were protecting uh, for mystery reasons and it, it was a blast and the players had a lot of fun and they constantly and that's also a good way to get your players engaged from the very start of the session it's like it's setting the tone for for the session it's we are going to do something together let's start with a map let's start with you know what do you want to do today who do you want to see who do you want to talk to what do you want to do that is where i think collaboration at least in in the way that i run games that's where the collaboration starts Having players jump onto NPCs, that's going to be really heavily dependent on how skilled they are or how experienced they are as role players to start off with. I would never ever start a new player, especially I would never let one of the kids have started off with playing an NPC.
1: Okay, well, I, this might be an individual thing then, because yeah. I'm th- I'm looking at this going, I'm really uncomfortable not knowing like the, the physicality of the location and what
2: oh, improv. You, but all that's that like, sort
1: of stuff. That's... Okay. Well, hold on. Uh, like, yeah. I, I'm really uncomfortable with that, but if I can just hand this person an unimportant NPC and be like, yeah, they need to kind of do this, that's thought cycles I don't need to, to work with anymore. I can just outsource that to someone else at the table I trust to make up a silly NPC okay. on the fly, and I can get back to being like, okay the The place we're in is like this, and I think of that, and that's just maybe that I have a different thought process That is
2: a totally different pro- thought process for me
0: and that's very system dependent like yeah. i am you you talk about this on the podcast fairly regularly, but I don't know that we've ever really taken over NPCs for any extensive amount of time in the, any of the DD games that we do on in our Saturday game that sounds like something that happens more often in your other gaming groups powered by the apocalypse stuff right that's probably a regular I'll say this some of that is the DD
1: games I like to run which are very much naturalistic man against nature kind of things sure there aren't a lot of NPCs around
0: yeah there mm-hmm. really aren't it's a lot of Yeah, like you said, naturalistic man versus nature, you're dealing with beasts and cultists and other stuff you're not going to have a lot of interaction with. I mean, look at the City on a Hill game. There's
1: three towns, and you aren't in any of them and won't be for a while.
0: Yeah, we're trekking through the desert.
2: (laughs) Another thing that I'm noticing is that, Grant, you actually do prep for your games. Oh, quite a lot. I don't. That's the thing. I am going in completely blank slate the vast majority of the time. So. I already have my stock five characters. They're there. I right. can use them when I need to. I have no map. I don't know what I'm doing today. That's on the players.
1: Can I propose that that is an artifact of having gamed for a very long time over virtual tabletops?
2: No, because really? the like the whole no, for, like, for improv- me for oh, oh, you oh, for you Yes, yes 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 yes, yes for sure because yes.
1: I need. Like, I want to have lovely looking maps because I can't look at hmm. people's faces.
2: Okay, I, for you maybe, that is, I have also gamed over virtual tabletops for a very long time. And I think it is just the different experiences that we've had as players. I've been playing for a very, very long time. I GM like a player. I go in knowing very little and I just sort of go with the flow and I go with, I, I go where the wind takes me for for the record. The collab stuff has always like, like my complete improv stuff has always been D and D or almost always been D and D like it, it. So this is not a system thing. This isn't a virtual versus physical tabletop. This is just the way that I GM when I get notes, when I get like, or when I try to prep I fail and I fall flat because the players aren't as engaged. Hmm. So I think the most prep I've done, I have another picture of it, but it's a bit blurry. I'll try to do a scan of it, is when I modified a monster from the monster manual. And I just gave it some extra stats. And that was literally the heaviest prep that I did. I am a very improv heavy GM. Jenny, don't. (laughs) Thank you. I yeah, like I'm starting blank slate, and because I already have the five NPCs in my head, I don't need anybody else to help with that because that is taking up zero bandwidth in in my brain. I've got the five. That's all I need. What I actually need is where we're going. Gotcha. <laughs> so okay,
0: you hear a lot about kind of yes and and no but. But as we've kind of mentioned at various points in here, you will occasionally just have to make something up entirely on your own. Actually, one of you just throw me a location, not anything too exotic, but like I oh. tried to... Oh, uh, the brand. Windows XP Desktop Hills. Okay. Uh, you're standing on a bunch of the most nondescript green hills that you have ever seen. The grass is all uniform. They roll on and on, off into the distance. It's unnatural. It's unsettling. What do you do? Yep. So every once in a while, you will run into something bizarre like that. Like, oh, my players have just walked into a computer world. And it's... and Okay, well, I guess we're doing this. So just try and be ready for that. And once again, the more you practice, the easier it will get. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Peter. uh,
1: Just real quick. Uh, You were talking and all of a sudden you said, hey, a reboot RPG. And my
0: mind just went off in a direction. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) well you've got a game design project for uh for this winter then well good thing I'm on break all right <clears throat> it's often assumed that you need to try and conceal the fact that something is improvised sometimes that's eh. nonsense no um your your players can know that you're making stuff up that's that's your job as mm-hmm. the gm it is your job to make stuff up <laughs> so
1: in fact trying to hide it will
0: make it worse
2: yeah
1: just lean into it and just be like Oh, my God. Guys, please let me. No. No. All right. Hold on. All right. So it's this guy. And just lean into the ridiculous of ridiculousness of the fact that you are making up an entire person in 10 seconds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or at the very least, be like, hey, I wasn't expecting to. You know, if that's not your style, be like, hey, I wasn't expecting to need this guy. I'm going to make him as believable as I can. Let me know if he starts getting a little too like random from his previous sentences or something, you know? Right. Mm.
1: But this is also where you can pull in that reach out to your players thing and be like, okay, uh, Jenny, give me, um, give me a character trait.
2: Uh, apoplectic. Now that's more of to me. What's oh, all shit. this
1: then? You know, and just kind of lean into that character that you needed to create on the fly by prompting your players for something again to offload that mental process.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that you can do to kind of make the improv fit better is try and get some details in there. As I did when Grant, you know, through the Windows XP hills I I mentioned how uniform it was and how unsettling that was. You know, those are those are things that you can grab and pull in or if that's not what you're going for, I could have said, you know, it's It's very uniform. It's very peaceful. It's very predictable. It's very safe feeling. You feel like you could walk forever and not be surprised by what you would find. So it's all around kind of like the emotions that you want to invoke as part of the process. Uh, Mm -hmm. Names, you can either come up with those on the fly if you're good at that, or... Realize that there's no shame in having a name generator or a list of them sitting someplace that you can get to. This is especially good if you're doing virtual tabletop. There are massive collections of like real and fantasy names online. Find one that you generally like. Do this while you're not in the middle of a game and bookmark it. And then when somebody is like, Yeah, um, I want to go talk to the dwarven blacksmith, you go, Okay, fine. Uh, his name is Sturgar, you know?
1: <laughs> or again, hit up your players. Okay, fine. Give me a dwarf name then, Bob. Yeah. Uh, Sturgar.
0: Great. Great. Sturgar. Sturgar. <laughs> yeah. Humor and honesty are your friends. Grant kind of alluded to this a couple of minutes ago, but admitting that you're making something up and need a moment to flush it out is not a bad thing.
2: Yeah. All all of my players have always known that, like, when I'm improv and they're actually really understanding all the time. like oh gosh i miss the kids so much i miss Mm. the kids game so much but like they are they get it they know like like so i i think a lot of this is going to boil down to relax you're among friends if you aren't among friends why are you gaming with them
0: because it's a con usually but (laughs) even
2: No, like...
0: But I mean, most of the time when I'm playing a con game, it's with at least a couple of friends. Hopefully when you're playing a con game, it's with potential friends. Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. This this is not a hobby that frowns upon improv. Most people understand just all of a sudden, brain fart, your mind goes blank. It, It will happen, except that it will happen. And... If your players aren't understanding, then stop playing with them, even at Mm -hmm. a con game. But like they're being disrespectful if they are.
0: Beware the Mercer effect. You're not Mm -hmm. on critical role. You know, it's just you are you are playing a game to have fun. So if it starts becoming unpleasant because it's gotten so stressful because you've set your expectations for yourself so high. Reevaluate what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And then, then uh, one other thing that is just kind of good to keep in your back pocket to to. And this is something that I use to break out of some of my ruts is just remind yourself that not everything has to be beneficial or threatening to be interesting. Uh, especially in settings that allow for it, weird is often good if you're going to improvise something. Uh, I've I've mentioned like the instance with the liquidizing pod, um, in my sunday game a while ago players had so much fun like turning various things into liquid and seeing how the the weird liquids made by this pod interacted when you took them out of it and stuff like that that it ate up probably i don't know a good 40 minutes or so of game time and everybody enjoyed themselves that's good improv it it doesn't need to be critical to the plot it doesn't need to be dangerous it doesn't need to give you concrete help the players just need to like it yeah. Again,
1: go to go back to the City on a Hill example, Tubor didn't need to be a Cyclops. He could have been a horse yeah. pulling a wagon. But hey, it's a Cyclops carrying a wagon, and that's cool. And now we've got an extra NPC, and it's a little bit flavorful and interesting
0: and memorable.
2: Yeah.
1: Good enough.
0: Yep. And then I think the, the final thing that I want to end on here is don't get swept up in you know, like definitions of what is and isn't improv. You don't yeah, need please. to fully improv something for it to count. If you improv an NPC's personality and you used a name generator, that still counts, but also who cares? Yeah. Like you got the NPC in there, your players interacted with them, and you had a good time.
1: If you feel like you are making things up at the table, good job. You're yep. improving. Mm-hmm. Proud of you. Yeah. Yep. Good work. Do we have anything else on this?
2: Just a few other things. Lean into the bizarre, don't be afraid to retcon. Don't be afraid to say, hey, wow, I messed up. Let's go back a bit. And if your players want to think that something you just said is related to the plot, figure out a way to make it related to the plot. Like, as much as my players all know, and I've said many, many times to them, I'm an improv GM and I don't know what's going to happen today. Like, the second I drew something in, like, as soon as I drew in a reference, to something they'd done previously they and they realized that I had connected everything they thought I had planned everything from the start. I had not I had just managed to figure out how things could be connected to the underdark in every single uh session that we'd done it's not It, it was not difficult because if you try hard enough, anything can be related to the underdark because it's your world <laughs> now it's your world now. You can do what you want with it. And that means retconning. That means retroactively connecting dots and and saying, oh, but this could be related to this. Know your setting, know your players, know your table.
0: Yeah, your game is not a model kit that can only be assembled one way. Your game is a pile of Legos. Have fun with it. The
1: one thing I think
0: I might end
1: on for me, if you feel like you are in a rut in your game and you want to try and practice some of these skills... Suggest you take a break and play a game that does encourage improv, something like mm-hmm. Fiasco or anything else that's light and one-shotty. There's a whole collection. Of, I I couldn't point it you to it right now, but if you look online, there are a bunch of like uh, Grant Howitz one-page RPGs or free LARPs that are just like little tiny LARP rules. Anything where it's just almost storytelling kind of games rather than, strictly speaking, God forbid we get into definitional arguments of what a role-playing game is or isn't, but anything that leans really heavily towards just storytelling without a whole lot of rules involved, yeah. and it's just a storytelling structure, play those. Give those a shot, and that will help you, again, kind of figure out how to do that stuff, and then you'll go back to your other game, and you'll have that ready to go because you've practiced that skill yep it's great this is good for those who maybe aren't looking at our show notes uh we improved a lot of this <laughs> we did, least, yeah yeah <laughs> you know did, did a lot of passing around right passing passing energy ball back and forth you know blah blah, blah. <laughs> so obviously next episode will be our last episode of saving the game uh we'll have a lot to talk about then a lot of people to thank a lot of shout outs a lot of recommendations and
0: a whole lot more yeah a lot of questions to answer
1: A lot of (laughs) questions to answer, which I'm looking forward to. That'll be fun. We'll probably intersperse those, I think. Yeah. You know, just we'll find some way to break it up. It'll be fun. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We may play that one by ear. And if it ends up being like two hours of having fun. Oh, no. What a way to end up. Not a a terrible (laughs) way to wrap things up. So Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See See you later, folks. this has been a production of saving the game all episodes are produced and published under a creative commons 4.0 attribution share alike license our logo is by ruben smith Zimple of 3d6design.com our music is the promised place beyond the clouds by james opie you can find more of his music at nihalor.com. to hear our past episodes to find syndication and license details to connect with our fantastic listener community Or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless,
2: do good, and happy gaming.